once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Savior, Gospel, Son of God. All these words had meaning to the first century audience that we might miss. These were words for Caesar. And using this language for Jesus painted a vivid picture of the role he should play in our lives and culture. Church planting team member Danny Iverson wraps up the series, What's on Your Heart? with this message entitled, The Kingdom of God on Display, which covers Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Thank you for joining us today. Right now I want to introduce Danny Iverson, who is uh, kind of the, the, the cap of our series, our young leader series. It's been a great series. Love these young folks that have come in and uh, led us. Danny is our own. Danny Iverson has been with us for a year here. He is uh, preparing as he's in a training time to church plant. Uh, He's going to be planting in the Grove Park area, uh, which is, I guess, a little west of the city, kind of downtown of, I guess, west of uh, Georgia Tech in that area. And uh, it is a very, very, very needy area. And uh, God's got the right man in, uh, in Danny. Uh, Danny uh, Danny's family and I go back a long ways. Uh, first of all, you need to know, and there's a picture of his immediate family. He has uh, 42 children. <laughs> He's got one on the way and uh, who knows how many more. He's one of nine children. I know his dad and his granddad, and some think I knew his great-granddad, but I'm not quite that old. But his great-granddad wrote the song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me. Many of you are familiar with that. What a heritage he has in his family. Uh, His grandfather, and that was Daniel Iverson, his grandfather, Bill Iverson, had an impact on my life when I was in college. And this is one of the great, great, great Christian leaders. Unbelievable man, uh, his granddad. Then his dad. uh, Dan, I've known him for years, and he's in Japan, one of the great missionary statesmen of Japan. Been there through a lifetime where... Danny was raised, and uh, now Danny comes along as another generation of uh, God-fears that God's using in a great way. So, uh, Danny, come, and uh, I want to pray for you as you prepare to, uh, to lead us. Uh, he was in a, uh, a bad uh, wreck this last week. He was put up in the hospital. I think he's going to show you a little picture of that, but uh, he was on a motorcycle accident and um, punished for stupidity. And... Um, <laughs> He's repented now of that, and so uh, we're, we're doing well. <laughs> but he broke his uh, shoulder blade or dislocated, sho- it. dislocated it and arms all, and he's supposed to be in a bandage, but he's let it off for he preaches. So anyway, we're grateful that he's here and that God spared his life. Who knows in the, uh, behind the scenes what was going on to keep you from being here. After being here in the first hour, I would understand why. Let's pray for him as we, uh, as we start. Father, thank you. For uh, just a great gift of Danny being among us uh, for this past year as he prepares to plant this church, I pray, God, let your spirit fall fresh on that community of Grove Park. I pray that there would be an impact there that has never in the history of that community ever, ever, ever imagined. I pray your kingdom to come and bear upon that great community. I pray, Father, for uh, Danny as he preaches, anoint him. I pray for his family, his children. Uh, protect and care for them and just thank you for the privilege we have to partner with young men like this so bless him we pray and we thank you for him in jesus name amen god bless you thank you randy it has been such a joy and pleasure to be part of the perimeter church family you all have welcomed us loved us so well and we are thankful that you are sending us 
to plant this church in the hood. Um, excited to see what God's going to do as we partner together to, to watch God's kingdom, his invisible kingdom being made visible through his people, showing up and putting his kingdom on display. So we're excited about that. Like Randy said, I, I did. I got in a motorcycle accident. I happen, I love motorcycles. In fact, here's a picture of when I first bought my motorcycle, first got it. Um, I was like, ooh, I'm so cool, I have a motorcycle. And, and this is me after my accident. <laughs> <laughs> so not so cool. M Monty Starks came to, uh, to, he was actually the first person in the hospital once the ambulance got me there. And this happened last Sunday, actually. And, uh, and he's taking pictures of me, so yeah. <laughs> Nice guy. He's my discipleship leader. So you get friends like that when you join discipleship groups. They show up at the hospital and they make fun of you. Uh, but, but the church really, I mean, the, the family of God just comes around you when you, when you start to, when, when you have hard things that happen in your life. And I, I, I've been in bed all day trying to, I mean, all week, all day, <laughs> trying to recover from this. I mean, dislocated shoulder, arms ripped up. I'm very thankful that I'm here, literally. I'm thankful that I'm alive. I'm thankful that, that I still have my face because I had one of the full face helmets on and when I, when I fell, it, it ripped off just chunks of the helmet and I'm very, very thankful to the Lord. And as I, I put out a, a Facebook post just asking for prayer and, and people responded very graciously, and a lot of people were praying for me today to be able to preach. And Kurt Cloninger, who's actually a member here, he said this, expounding holy writ while on pain medication, a recipe for either apostasy, unexpected humor, or true revelation. I pray for the last two. Blessings, my friend. <laughs> so, so that's my prayer as well, that God will really use today to give us and speak to us from his word to change our hearts to make us more like Jesus um, this motorcycle accident actually really ties well into my sermon this morning you see I was driving along Langford uh, just minding my own business 35 miles an hour I was going this, actually going the speed limit uh, last Sunday and this SUV um, green Explorer so if you have a green Explorer you might need to come repent later because this this guy all of a sudden just comes into my lane and I tried to dodge him you know ended up laying the bike down falling on my shoulder getting hurt freaking my wife out <laughs> and the Explorer just kept going and in fact I don't even know if he ever saw me he might have seen me after the wreck but he definitely didn't see me when he switched lanes because of a blind spot. And I think this speaks to our lives, how there are so many blind spots that we have as we go through life and we leave wreckage in our wake as we go through life. And sometimes we see it and ignore it. Sometimes we see it and we stop and address it. In fact, this whole series of what's on your heart, it's, it's helped me really address some of the blind spots in my life. You know, when Bart talked about the mission of God, one of the things the Lord showed me was, was Danny, you don't line up your mission with God's mission. You try to do your own thing. You try to set the agenda instead of aligning your life with God's mission and with his agenda. When, when Matt uh, Ballard was talking about the, the shame that Jesus sets us free from through his forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, one of the blind spots I saw in my life is how I, I sit in my shame I let my sin uh, take control of my life when I'm struggling and instead of believing that I'm forgiven and, and walking out in the power of that reality, I sit in my shame. 
Another blind spot that, that Gary brought out is, is the way that, and maybe this happened for you when I was listening to him, the way that, that I, I so often want to live in safety and security instead of being brave and engaging with God's justice here in the world. And of course, last week, Jeff talking about the presence of God and how we run from the presence of God so often instead of coming into his presence and, and saying, you, Jesus, are my portion and finding our joy and our satisfaction in Christ. And, and today, I want to see some of these blind spots exposed more in my life and, and hopefully in yours as well, that you will see some of these blind spots. And one of the main ones, and it goes well with this weekend, is, is, is a blind spot we have as Americans where we start loving the American dream above the kingdom of God. We start loving the American dream and living for the American dream above the kingdom of God. And fantasy football is actually a really good way to kind of understand this. I, I, growing up in Japan, I was never exposed to football. When I came to the States, I said, wow, Americans really like football. And then I moved to Florida to go to seminary, and I realized, wow, people in the South really love football. And then I came to Georgia, and I realized now I'm in the South, and people here really love football. In fact, one of my best friends who went to college with me, he actually missed my wedding for a Georgia Dogs game. And I was like, for real? Like, he's like, no, man, why are you scheduling your wedding during a dog's game? What's wrong with you? And so people love football, and people really get into their fantasy football teams, don't they? They, they spend so much emotion and time and even money just trying, you know, just putting their heart into these teams. Now, uh, this Gold Rush band was rocking, weren't they? Wasn't they? Weren't they amazing? Harrison, <laughs> thank you guys for leading us in worship. Uh, Harrison is just killing it on the keyboard, and this guy was designed by God to be a musician. But imagine if, if Harrison was, was a, a fantasy football addict, and he started telling everyone that he was a football player. Be like, well, he's like, yeah, I'm a football player. I have this awesome team. I, I love my team. I'm so connected to my team. I spend lots of money. I even make money off of my fantasy football team. He'd be like, dude, you're not a football player. <laughs> Trust me, you're a musician. You know, you weigh like 150 pounds. <laughs> You're not a football player. And I think that's what happens with us. When we buy into the American dream, when, when, we, don't have, when we don't see that blind spot, we start living fantasy Christianity where we, we, we know everything about God. We even have this emotional connection to the church or to certain people or to like rock star celebrity pastors or musicians. But we never go on the field. Because that's what makes someone a football player, is they go on the field, they engage in the game. And a lot of us just stay on the sidelines, play fantasy Christianity. Jesus was very serious about helping people escape fantasy and come into reality and start living and putting the kingdom of God on display in fact, our, our text this morning, it really summarizes Jesus' ministry. Look at Mark 1, 14 through 18. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they are fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. 
in order to escape fantasy Christianity and really escape fantasy humanity, so to say, and start living in the real, living for God's kingdom, there's three things we need to understand about God's kingdom. We need to really understand what it is. We need to, to know why we need it. And we need to know how to get it. So let's dive in. What is the kingdom of God? The Bible really summarizes the kingdom of God as this. The kingdom of God is a place of absolute eternal flourishing. And the Bible calls this shalom. That's the Hebrew word. The holistic peace where everything is how it should be. A place of absolute eternal human flourishing where God is king. And the Bible talks about this over and over again. In fact, it talks about the kingdom of God having the three things that we all really long for. Prosperity, pleasure, and power. And the kingdom of God has all three of those eternally in its absolute form. Scripture says it like this. I'm going to read a bunch of of texts here, so just stay with me. And we're going to move on after this. But look at these texts that describe the kingdom of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So let's look at pleasure. The kingdom of God, pleasure, which is unending joy, health, sensual satisfaction, rest, comfort, joy, beauty. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then the power in God's kingdom. This is unbeatable strength, control, security, safety, the ability to eliminate threats. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When it waves, rives, you still, still them. The heavens are yours. The earth, earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. You have a mighty arm, strong as your right hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And and Jesus was constantly preaching this message. He was constantly saying, the kingdom of God is where it's at. He he says it's like a pearl where the merchant, he, he sees this great pearl of great worth and he sells everything in order to get that for himself. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's discovered in a field. And the person who discovers it, they sell everything so they can buy that field and have that treasure. The kingdom of God is worth everything. If you don't get the kingdom of God, you get nothing. So why do we need the kingdom of God? Why do we need this kingdom of God? I just want to be Captain Obvious for a moment here. It's because the kingdom of man really isn't working out so well, is it? The kingdom of man, the kingdom of this world is not working out so well. We just have to look around and we see that. 
And the Bible talks about why that is. The Bible gives us time and time again descriptions of why the kingdom of the world just isn't going to work. Romans 1, Randy did a great series last uh, fall on this. And he, he said how the, the kingdom of man, when, when, we, when we start loving the creation, loving prosperity, loving the pleasures of this world, loving the powers in this world more than the one who created everything. We love creation above the creator. When that starts to happen, things start going downhill. It starts getting messed up. It starts getting really messed up. You know, we understand this on Christmas. My kids at Christmas time, when they're little, they can't wait for the presents. They don't realize that the gifts are connected to a giver and the cost that was involved in order to get those gifts. And they love the gifts really more than the giver. They're more excited about the gifts more than the giver of the gifts, their parents. And this, this last uh, Christmas, my eight-year-old son, Daniel Josiah, for the first time, he really got it. And he loves spy gear. He's really into spying on his sisters and uh, spying on his parents and spying on the neighbors and they call the cops and that's yeah, a mess. But, but DJ, he, he, he always goes on Amazon and he adds like all the spy gear he wants to his whistle. He, he's addicted to Amazon. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, he always somehow manages to get on my phone and look at things on Amazon. <laughs> so he, 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 he adds this to his wish, his wish list. And so on Christmas morning, when he opens up his present and he sees the spy gear that he's been longing for. And the first thing he did, instead of rejoicing in the spy gear, he looked up at me and our eyes connected. And my son ran into my arms and said, thank you, daddy. And I mean, it made me want to cry. It's just like, he's, he's getting it. He's loving me. He's loving the giver more than the gift. And that's what's jacked up our world is that we start loving the gifts more than the giver. You know, Burger King actually really gets this. Burger King gets this. They say, have it your, your own way. Have it your way. You be king. You be king and everything's going to be good. And then what they do is they give you this like Photoshop burger. You know, it's like, see, have it your way. And you're like, oh, I can have that. And, but in reality, in reality, this is what we get. You know? <laughs> When we have it our way, it doesn't work out so well. It gets messed up. I mean, and that's why this world just really doesn't work because you've got 7 billion people on this planet all trying to be king. How's that going to work out when everyone's trying to be king? Everyone's trying to be the master of their own destiny. It's a game of thrones. We're trying to be the captain of our own own soul. We're running after pleasure. We're running after prosperity and money and stuff. We're running after power, trying to be in control. And it doesn't work out. One author says it like this. Physiologically, there's nothing that makes you or this world more miserable than self-absorption. Nothing that makes you more miserable than being absorbed and obsessed. How am I feeling? How am I doing? Do people like me? How are people treating me? Am I proving myself? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? Am I being treated justly? There's nothing more miserable, nothing more destructive to a community. Why do we have wars? Why do we have class struggles? Why do we have family breakdowns? Why do we have relationships that are constantly blowing up in our faces? It's because of the darkness of self-centeredness. 
When we decide to be our own king, when we decide to try and build our own kingdoms, everything falls apart. Our relationships fall apart physically. Our relationships fall apart socially. Our relationships fall apart spiritually and psychologically. Things go downhill. Doesn't look good. John Stark, an author I read, he says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My idols are tyrants who leave me wanting. The the wages of sin, it really is death. When you run after those things, the Bible calls that sin, and it, it goes DNA deep. It's in us. And when we run after those things, it brings death and brokenness. I mean, just think about it. Think about in our world as people run after money and stuff, the materialism and consumerism and the way it oppresses the poor, the way it breaks down so much of the beautiful and wonderful things in this world. In in Japan where I grew up, it's a very materialistic country and young high school girls will, it's a trend to sell yourself into prostitution to to be able to get all these new toys that are coming out. It's broken. What about pleasure? We run after pleasure. Look what's happening as our society runs after pleasure and makes that the final goal of their life. You know, here in America, the land of the free, we create 70% of the world's pornography. 70% comes out of our country. The sex industry makes more money than all of major league sports combined. And that, that's, that's what happens. And we look at our, at our city. We look at Atlanta. We're one of the primary hubs for sex trafficking, for child sex trafficking. Now jacked up that is. And we, we look at that and we're just like, man, this, this world is a mess. When we have it our way, it just doesn't work out. And we can't stop it. And the reason we can't stop it is because people are still buying it. People want it. People want pleasure. We're addicted to it. We're addicted to vacations. We spend so much time, so much money on ourselves. It's all about me, me, me. And the first thing that comes into our minds is how can I spend? How can I leverage my power? How can I spend my resources on numero uno, on me? And that's what happens when we have it our way. That's what happens when we declare ourselves to be king, to be the ones in control. I got so many struggles that go along with that. I don't know about you. When I, when I get out of control, when things start breaking down in my life, I tend to run to my addictions. Instead of running to Jesus, instead of running into his presence, I I run to my addictions. I run to pleasure. I run to prosperity. I run to power. I try to get control. I try to be secure. What about in your life? What are the things that you go to? What are these these false shaloms, this false sense of peace that you go to and you think, this will satisfy me? Is it money? Is Is it sports? Is it sex? Is it comfort, security? Is it being in control of your kids? Is it being in control of your lawn? Is it being in control of your business and your employees? being in control of your relationships. And we all know that when someone tries to control us in a relationship, relationship breaks because it's based on one person trying to manipulate and control another human being. And our world is a mess. So how do we get 
the kingdom of God. Because obviously we need it, don't we? Every single one of us in this room, no matter where you are at spiritually on your journey, I can tell you this, you need the kingdom of God. You need a king. And you need the, the king that the Bible talks about. This King Jesus, who he shows up in the story. He shows up in human history, and he declares himself. He says, I'm the God that made all this, and I've chosen to come into the story, to be part of it, to walk alongside with you, to share life with you so I can put the kingdom of God on display and help you know how you can be part of the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus says. This is exactly what Jesus says. He says, Repent of your sin. Follow, uh, believe the gospel. Follow me, your king, into this great story of redemption. Repent of your sins. And it sounds kind of simple, but we're going we're to break this down. And we're going to look at repenting of our sins and understanding what that is. And then we're going to look at what it means to follow after Jesus when he says, follow me. And lastly, we're going to apply it by understanding what it means to believe the gospel. So here we go. Repent of your sins. Jesus actually explains this in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6 when he talks about on, his, on the Sermon of, of, on the Mount. It's one of his most popular sermons. And in this, he says this. He says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he also says, Blessed are those who mourn, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, Blessed are those who are meek, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus is saying, this is how you receive the kingdom. You have to become poor. You have to realize that you don't have anything, the exact opposite of running after the prosperity of the world. He says, no, you must become completely bankrupt to where you say, I, I don't have anything, Jesus. None of this stuff really matters. It's all going to go anyway. You are my treasure. And that's what repentance is. It's saying, Jesus, you are my treasure. You are really my treasure. And we, we say that these worldly treasures are fake. They're fantasy treasures. They're not real. And we say, you, Jesus, are what I live for. You're my treasure. Blessed are those that mourn. When we start to, to realize our brokenness and weep over the brokenness in this world, we start saying, Jesus, you're my pleasure. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You're the only one that can satisfy those deep longings of my heart. All these pleasures of this world, they just make it worse. And we start repenting of those things. We start saying, these things aren't working. That's what repentance is, is when you say, this doesn't work. It might have given me a high for a little while, but boy, is it bringing me low. Boy, is it destroying my life when I work with drug addicts that are getting high all the time. I mean, for them, repentance is saying, realizing I'm worshiping a false god. I'm worshiping the god of heroin. I'm worshiping this high. And they lay it down and say, Jesus, you are my high. You are the one. You are my greatest pleasure, my greatest desire. And, and, and you think about power. Repentance, when it comes to power, is us realizing that we're weak. That we can't be the masters of our own destiny. I could have died on that motorcycle wreck. Just like that. We don't know when our time is up on this planet. You don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. You can't be the master of your own destiny. You can't be king. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of trying to be king. We need to take our burger crown crowns, our Burger King crowns off our head. We need to take these off our head and rip them up and say, Jesus, you are the king. I cannot be king. I'm done trying to be in control. I need you, Jesus, to be my king. Thank you. (laughs) Some of... (laughs) Brian White was supposed to say that. What's going on in your heart? What do you need to repent of? What are the things you need to rip up right now? Say, these aren't satisfying me. Jesus, be my king. What about following Jesus? Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. He promises us that. It's going to be hard in this world to follow him. Those of us that are Christians, we know that. I mean, as a parent, it's so hard to follow Jesus and love my kids. I mean, we we call our family joyful chaos. (laughs) It really is. Uh, And I find myself repenting all the time to my my kids for the ways, ways I try to control them try to be their master, try to be their God. And when they don't do what I say, instead of moving toward them with love the way God moves toward me, I I tend to move toward them with wrath. (laughs) This is what following Jesus means. I think Mark, the verse 16 through 18, really shows us that. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. I love how it says that. Immediately they left their nets. You see, their nets were what they were using to try to get the kingdom of the world, to try to give themselves the prosperity and the purpose they were longing for, to give them the resources, to get their pleasures, to to give them the power that they needed. And they said, I'm following you, Jesus. And they laid down their nets and, you know, it didn't end well in terms of the world for the, the disciples. Out of all 12 of them, 11 of them were martyred, were killed for their faith. It ended in physical death for them. Following God, following this king into this great redemption story, it's hard, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it, brothers and sisters. Uh, four people that have really impacted my life, four of my friends, and as I hear their stories, two of them I know here, or three of them I know here at Perimeter, but one of my friends from high school, he was a filmmaker, and this is what it looked like for him to follow Jesus. He, he was a very good filmmaker, and he was uh, do, doing films like uh, uh, Friday Night Lights and Vampire Diaries, and he heard Jesus calling him, saying, use your gifts for my kingdom and glory. And he's on his way with his wife to Palestine, to make a video documentary for the next three years about this Palestinian Christian who's, who's trying to bring reconciliation between Israel and Palestine peacefully. Uh, another uh, one of my friends who I have had the privilege of knowing here in Atlanta, he, um, he, his family was homeless. And 
he loves Jesus and was trusting God and God provided him with a job and now they're, they're back on their feet and he, uh, he, he goes to work every day and delivers appliances. Uh, I mean, barely getting paid minimum wage for his hard work. And, and I, I just, I watch him rejoice in the Lord and say, God has given me so many opportunities, even though my job is hard, to share Christ with people, to bless the customers that I'm delivering to. And, and I see that and I say, wow, someone that's following after Jesus. There's an, another, a member here of this church, him and his wife, they haven't been married that long and they felt Jesus calling them to adopt three kids, foster to adopt three kids under the age of three. They had dreams to have their own family one day and Jesus said, follow me and adopt these orphans, give them a home, rescue them. And they obeyed and they followed. I was, I was having lunch with him the other day and he said, Danny, it's hard. It's so hard. But as I, as I pray, he said, I've learned how to pray in it. And as I, as I love these kids, I'm just realizing God's love for me and his adoption of me. Another friend I've, I've gotten to know here at Perimeter, he's a businessman, gifted businessman. He can't help but succeed in business. He just can't. He's so good at it. And he used to use his business skills to accumulate his own prosperity and his own pleasures and his own power. And Jesus said, follow me. And he uses his business skills for God's kingdom. And he gets excited. He gets excited when he can make money, lots of money, and invest it into God's kingdom being made visible, being put on display here on earth. And if you ask any of these guys, why do you do that? Why are you able to do that? Where does that come from? Where does your ability to be able to follow Jesus like that? They're not going to say it's because I'm a good person, because my moral caliber is higher than yours, or because I, I just chose to do it. You know, they're going to say, no, it's because of this thing called the gospel. It's because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to take some time now, this last 10 minutes, just to describe what that is. We have to get the gospel. If we don't get the gospel, we are not going to be able to get on this dance floor and be part of the kingdom of God. We're not going to be able to get out on the field and engage in the true game, the game that really matters. We're not going to escape fantasy Christianity. And this is what the gospel is. It's literally a word that means good news. And when we hear the word gospel, we think of it in terms of religious terms, don't we? We think it's a religious word. But when Mark was writing this, it wasn't a religious word. It was a political word. It was a word that was used all throughout the Roman Empire at that time. You see, when, when the Roman Empire uh, conquered and when Caesar came to the throne, there was this document we have in history called the Gospel of Caesar, the good news of Caesar. And, and a messenger that would actually go and tell the good news was called an evangelist, someone that would tell the message, the joyful message of what has happened. And the gospel is a message, it's something that happens outside of yourself. So when, a, when two kingdoms were at war, and, and the kingdom, one kingdom won, they would send out messengers to all parts of the kingdom, and the messenger would stand up in the center of the town and declare, we have, we have victory. And that was the gospel, that was the joy-inflicting message. And so when Mark says, the gospel of God, when Jesus says, believe the gospel, he's saying, this is what you're supposed to believe. And the best summary of this is found in Colossians. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
That God has done this. God has come to your rescue. He's rescued you out of your mess and he's brought you, transferred you into his kingdom. And you are part of his kingdom. You're part of his family. He has invited you into his family to be part of something so much bigger than yourself. To be part of a redemption story so much bigger than anything that you could create for yourself. And and this is how he did it. God showed up. God showed up. This is the fourth P. Shalom isn't possible unless Jesus is Lord. We cannot have shalom unless Jesus really is Lord. And he's, God has created the universe. He's so high above us, but he has come low in the person of Jesus Christ. He's come low. He's come into our mess. He's come into our hood, so to say. Jesus came in and he lived the perfect life that we could never live. You know, Jesus, his whole life, he didn't run after the prosperity of the world. He was a poor man. His ministry, he was a homeless guy. Do you know that? For three years as he did his ministry, he was a homeless guy. He was born into a homeless family, a a very poor family. When Jesus came into this world, he lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was the hood of Israel. He chose to go to the ghetto of all the places that the Son of God could have chosen to live. He chose to live in the hood. And Jesus lives this perfect life. He says, "This this is why I'm here. I came to rescue you. I came to rescue you from sin, from your slavery. I came to give you the real liberty, the liberty that really matters, true freedom. I came to give that to you. And this is what he did. This is what he did. Instead of running after the treasures of this world, he ran after you. He said, you're my treasure. He said, you're my treasure. He didn't try to get for himself a crown of jewels. He chose to take for himself a crown of thorns. Jesus didn't run after the pleasures of this world. He says, no, my greatest pleasure, my greatest delight is to do the will of him who sent me. And this is why I'm here, to seek and to save the lost, to bring the healing that this world so desperately needs, to bring shalom, to make things right. And he says, it's my pleasure to die. Hebrews 12 says, it was his joy to stretch his arms out on that cross and take your sin upon himself. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news for us. That all of our sin, everything that we've done, past sin, present sin, the things we're struggling with right now, future sin, all of it has been placed on Christ. And the punishment that we deserve for cosmic treason against the king of the universe That punishment, brothers and sisters, was placed on him. And by his wounds, you are healed. By his wounds, you're changed. That's what happens when we get this. When we see that we are saved from sin's penalty completely right now, even as I'm preaching this, as, as God's spirit is working, you are being saved from sin's power over your life. God is releasing you. He's changing your heart. He's changing your affections a little bit more to say, yes, I'm starting to love Jesus more than my addictions, more than my sin, more than the false shalom of this world. I'm loving Jesus more. My heart is changing as we see this king who loves us so much. And we have this hope in the gospel that one day, one day all will be well, all will be made right. We have this hope that this body of flesh that's wasting away, that there's a resurrection because Jesus has conquered death. 
itself. Death has no sting. Death has no power over you anymore. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And all this, brothers and sisters, is from God for you because of his great love. And that'll change you. That's, what, that's what's changing me. That's my only hope. That's all I got. Where, am I, where else am I going to go? I've tried the pleasures of the world. They're empty wells. They don't satisfy. I know I can't be in control. I can't even be in control of my motorcycle. You know, I really struggle with prosperity, with loving the things of the world loving the gifts instead of the giver. And I was a businessman. I actually, growing up in a family of nine, I loved stuff. I mean, I loved stuff, and I could never have all the toys my friends were having because we were missionaries in Japan, and I just, nine kids, couldn't get those things. And so I studied business, and I decided I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to run after the prosperity of the world. So I went into business, and I started buying the things that I thought would make me happy. I started pursuing the American dream. My grandfather, at the age of 74, started replanting a church in Newark, New Jersey, in the hood. And I, I drove up there to tell him he was crazy, that you don't do that. These people don't care about that. I mean, this was the hood. There were hookers on the corner of this church. You know, Crip headquarters, which is a gang, was a block away. There were five strip clubs within five blocks. And he's like, no, the gospel, the light of Jesus is going to change this community. And I drove up there and said, no, this is, you're crazy. What are you doing? And I remember after the worship service, there was like four old white people in the service. That was it. This old, rundown church, been dead for 40 years. And we walk out in the parking lot, and this crack whore comes running up to us. Needle marks on her arm, blood running down her face. She had just gotten beat up by one of her clients. And I looked at her, and I immediately judged her. I said, I got to get him out of here. But he looked at her, and he saw the image of God. He saw beauty and hope. And he moved toward her with grace and love. And I watched him wipe the blood off her face and pray for her and care for her. And the Holy Spirit was like, Danny, don't you see? That's you. You're no different than that woman. You just know how to wrap up your leprosy better. You know how to fake it a little bit better than she does. But you're an addict too. You're addicted to yourself. And you're not going to be satisfied by your addictions. Only I can satisfy you. And it led me to repentance. It led me to rip up my Burger King crown and say, only you, Jesus, you are my king. I want to follow you. And it led me to move into the inner city with him and begin learning what it means to love people and, and show compassion. And Newark taught me more than I could ever teach Newark, being in the hood. And, and that's why our family, were committed to this type of ministry. That's why we're moving to Grove Park, to show up in those places, because it's in those places that I, seem, I, get, I get to experience the power and presence of Jesus, and it, I stop being distracted by all the things that, that take my focus off of that. And I want to challenge you right now as, as we close off. As Jesus has rescued you, maybe today for the first time you're getting the gospel and you're saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe today's the day you say that. What does it look like for you to follow him? There's broken, hurting, mourning, poor people all around us, oppressed people. What does it look like for you to move into their lives and put the kingdom of God on display? Tim Keller says, says this. This is what happens when God's people get this. This is what happens. Christians are called not to just live in the city, but also to love and work for its shalom, its economic, social, and spiritual flourishing. The citizens of God's city are the best possible citizens of their earthly cities. This is why Jesus, he's inviting you into a bigger story. 
Are you going to follow him? Are you going to lay down your nets? Are you going to repent of your sin? Believe this amazing gospel and follow your king? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace that you showed up in our lives, that you have chosen to come to our rescue, Lord. You've chosen to show up in our mess, to set us free from sin's power, Lord, to take our punishment for us. You who were rich, you became poor so that in you we might be rich. God, may that call us to repentance. May that love us so deeply that we start loving you more than our addictions. Change us, God, for your grace, for your glory, Lord. Do your work in us, Lord. We want to be where you are, Jesus. We want to be where you are listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.